remember what happened what happened to you being so excited about pot when we first texted each other remember when it right when it happened you're like no this is good news it is good news it's not dude it's good there's there's 60 people for whom it's very good news it's harmful this is actually the opposite of good news. Well, then we'll get when into you it. take it, when you take a tiny step and don't do the whole thing, you exactly. are more well, harmful. Yes, it's called exactly. Ob- it's called I said Obamacare. It's good news because you annoy the fuck out of me. Because everybody else I talk to, I've been going around going, "No, this is not good news." You pranks, but when it's Dave Anthony, I gotta like find some way to because it's just, you're just annoying. Um, but I want to talk about that. Have you had that experience, Kate? That Dave Anthony is just annoying. I actually haven't. I find Dave's presence to be so comforting because you know you know i'm the one who edits these uh, no yours too in a completely different way so i'll, I'll start with complimenting you i josh you're warm you're peaceful you're down oh. to joke around whatever about whatever's happening no matter how bad it is with dave it just like i walk around like my entire life just feeling like i'm always the most worked up person about the horrors that our government and corporations are enacting and dave never makes me feel like i have to calm down never <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's that's a thing it's a, it's I, I don't know if it's good or bad i, I have this long-standing thing it's not even a policy it just sort of worked out where I have a lot of people in my life who um, seem to exist to make me feel like I'm normal. Like I used to, I don't as much now, yeah. but like I used to see too many movies, you know, I just did nonstop go to movies and I own 7,000 Blu-rays and DVDs and be like, that's warped. And then my friend Dan Waters, the great screenwriter goes to, you know, 10 times as many movies as I do. And I'm like, okay, I'm normal. And then, you know, you can't compare anybody with Dan. No, but you're like the Dan Waters of political rage. <laughs> I have a lot of political rage, and it's hard not. No, I agree. I, I mean, I do too. On, but it's like but literally, Dan's like, if there's a movie in a theater, be- if Dan's in a, if there's a movie in a theater, Dan has to see it. And Dave's like, if there's a something going on politically, you have to be angry about. It. He's angry about it. It's just Which weird I because what I'm one thing I think I'm not conscious enough of as often as I need to be is like, I do think that like, you know, I mean, it's kind of like that old, like AA slogan, like, you know, attraction, not promotion. Like it, it is, I think, off-putting for people like to want to get involved with a movement where everyone seems really upset and mad. And I think I seem upset <laughs> yes. and mad a lot of the time about things that are really legitimate and things that I think most people would be upset by if they had the information you know, mm-hmm. that is not printed on the front page of the New York Times or whatever. Like you kind of have to be, you know, branch out in terms of your news sources. I don't mean like conspiracy theories. I just mean like, you know, no, like the blaze, though. You should be reading the blaze. Yes, exactly. Glenn Beck, Tucker Carlson. Yeah. But, you know, it's like I think to people who don't have the information about, you know, for example, like let's say that Nancy Pelosi uh, campaigns for an anti-abortion Democrat. It just right. seems completely fucking nuts if Republicans, you know, ban abortion and then you're like mad at Nancy Pelosi. They're like, what do you want? Right. And it's like, no, dude, come on. Like, you'd be upset about this, too, if you understood. But yeah, yeah it, no, it's just much easier not to know. By the way, this is it's going to start sounding like we plan this. Of course, you should be reading the lever. God damn it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really is. I mean, I, I think, and I, I realized the other day, like we're just five episodes into this thing and 
I've yet to actually say this, but it's an amazing. I mean, I think we probably said it in the pre-recorded bit where we we're like, "Hey, we're probably." But I mean, the lever's great. I think Dave, you said this the other day. We were talking to Sirota on our old show, but it's like every time you find some great investigative journalist that you really uh, respect and follow on Twitter, he ends up or she ends up getting hired by mm-hmm. the lever. Yeah, um, they're doing incredible work out there. They don't get the respect they deserve, and I'm talking about uh, an organization that gets. Um, you know, that the New York Times, you know, steals from regularly and that Joe Biden recently called out for a good piece of reporting. I'm saying they don't get the respect they deserve. They deserve way more. Um, they're great. And that's a good place to start if you want to get. But of course, telling people who are listening to us on the Lever Network uh, about the levers probably redundant. I would think. I love the stuff that they're doing. Dave is such a yeah. he has so much integrity. I don't know him yeah. personally like you guys do, but I mean, he's. Talk about a guy who's not afraid to make people mad. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But uh, Dave, do you want to do our, uh, do our, uh, just, just say you're listening to the audit with Josh Olson and Dave Anthony and our study buddy, Kate. I am a study buddy. Yeah. Study buddy. Study buddy. Though mostly cheating off your memories of the Bush <laughs> administration because I was very small <laughs> when right. it happened. Right. Yeah. I was 40. I was 45. No, you weren't. 45? When no. it started, I was 45. You were not. No, you weren't. I am... 73 years old. Yeah, I'm 67. <laughs> Spiritually. Spiritually, yeah. uh, uh, I'm laughing because it's so funny when a 65-year-old guy pretends he's older than he is. You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the lever's independent journalism. As an added bonus, every audit supporter will also get access to the lever's premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks, and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can also find the audit's tip jar at levernews.com slash audit and leave us a tip. I want to, before we get into anything, there's, there's a thing that happened and it's just starting to be a pattern. 
and it actually happened a little while ago, but it's, it's bugging the shit out of me. And, and they get me sometimes. Um, but it seems like a pattern, especially for this current administration. And I figure it's fair because we're going to spend the rest of this show talking about how awful uh, a Republican president was. But Joe Biden basically came out and said they're going to um, uh, pardon people on federal marijuana charges and they're going to look into descheduling cannabis. Um, and, you know, that's a big announcement. That is a very big announcement. Dave, resist the urge. Just acknowledge that that is a big announcement. No. It's a big announcement. And. Well, as an announcement, as yeah, saying something out saying. loud. We'll get yeah. to, you'll get to as make your saying, fucking I told you so as, point in a minute. So shut up. It starts saying things out loud. Yes. And my point is they keep doing this. They did this with, you know, and it was slightly different because the student debt relief thing was way late. But they keep doing these things. And the immediate blurt is, holy shit, big deal. Student debt relief, pot legalization, biggest uh, climate change bill in the history of the world. And invariably, invariably, what happens when you take a breath and you look at the details and then we find out everything that's gone into them is... At best, they're not that much. What's the details on this weed one? I don't know. Well, the weed one, first it's... of all, just before Dave gets to the really awful stuff, you know, great. There's there's a real problem. And Biden even talked about this on the campaign trail. There are way too many people in jail on pot-related charges. Yep. Because um, of Biden. You know how? Yeah, because, thank you. Uh, do you know how many people are in federal prison for marijuana possession? How many? Exact. Zero. The exact number is zero. Oh, so this is nothing. So people are being, <laughs> yeah, you're being pardoned for, you know, it's like you got to slap on the wrist, you paid a fine, and now it's on your record. It's going to be taken off your record. Which that's so he's pardoned. 60, he's not actually part of the six hundred people. No, what is it? Six hundred people. It it helps out six hundred sixty five hundred people, but not uh, completely. Like they're like they're expunged, but they're not. Like it's it's like this weird. They're getting off clean, but they're not. Like it's this halfway strange pardon. Um, and it just means they can probably get a job somewhere else. But that's not really what it means, because if they've now spent their life, um, you know, one of the biggest indicators of crime is losing your job or not being able to get an education. And so if these people had their lives interrupted, you you don't get to like all of a sudden flip a switch and then go, now your record's clean. Well, now they spent 10 years not being able to get a job or whatever the fuck happened to them because they had this pot charge. So their lives are already fucked up. Like it, you didn't just magically fix it. What needs to be done is everybody who has any pot charge of any kind needs to be released from prison, any kind whatsoever. And, uh, and you know, all those records gone, everyone released, but those are all state level charges. Yeah. And, and, you know, he needs to, de he needs to completely decriminalize pot, which is not what he said in, in his announcement. He made it sound like that's what he's going to do. Yeah. We're gonna start. We're gonna start the review process to look at the schedule, the scheduling of the job. But, but it's just a way to say I'm making a committee yeah. to look into. And here's the uh, thing: I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get the number wrong, and someone's yeah. gonna listen to this and go, ah, "I see you're lying. I'm making it up." I don't know. I don't recall if it's three signatures or five signatures, but he could decriminalize it this afternoon. Yeah. No review yeah. process is needed. It is 2022. 
we have been no aware of the impact and the dangers and lack thereof of marijuana for uh debut of the history podcast when was marijuana invented that oh, long um, we've known that long zero and the year zero so we've known for two two thousand and twenty two years it's i mean to me this one is so wild because there is broad consensus even among republicans that Massive, you shouldn't yeah. go to jail for weed i mean like that's in its addition to, you know, say what you will about like, you know, the Koch brothers and their whole apparatus. I mean, it's, you know, 99.9999999% horrible, but you yeah. know, like even that very libertarian side of the Republican party, which is like, I think a lot of people at this point, they don't want people to be in jail for weed because it costs money to. Yeah. And also by the way, someone. it's them because this one yeah. cuts across all every single yeah. but it doesn't though it's it's much more it's the, the rests are much more in the black community yeah, exactly. no, no no correct but use use there are yeah. sure and there use, are still people yeah. it's hard to remember but you go to most of the country and people are still scared of lighting up a joint you know because they might get arrested even though yeah and even i mean even these like never happened in my white life these moms like these like you know the alleged like moderate voter that these you know the democrats always say that they're promoting or whatever like they also smoke weed i mean it's yeah. like man my friend's six-year-old mom in georgia has i can't remember what her illness is with something like ms you know she just got charged with a felony for having weed on her um so like mm -hmm. a six-year-old woman so i mean it, yes obviously there's you know it's hugely uh, disproportionately affecting like lower income people, people of color, but like even the suburban voter that they're allegedly pursuing, like can be affected yeah. by this. It's just something that almost everyone agrees upon. And it's it not doesn't even cost money. It's also, it's not something, it's you know, not. you can say we're going to outlaw masturbation. A whole lot of people will go, I didn't affect me. Yeah, fine. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> talk about pot, it's like nobody, nobody can pretend that they don't because very few people secretly smoke pot alone. Yeah, everybody, you know, it's it's all across the culture. People do it in front of other people. You can't be, you know, you your response has to be like, yeah, it should be fucking legal. Yeah, a lot. I think a lot of people do secretly smoke pot alone, though. Okay. We have twenty four percent of the of the world's prison population, yeah. and we're five percent of the population, and and that's what it is. It's jobs, yeah. it's bank accounts, and that's all it is. That's all. That's all it's for. We are harvesting human beings. For capital, that's all it is. We're destroying lives every fucking day so people can make money. That already the states where they have uh, uh, the states in which you know everyone's supposed to be looking at it, right? They're all getting, the, especially the red states. They're dumping money in the prison industrial complex is now dumping money into campaigns to stop this. But new pot cannot be legal. It's it's a fucking business. Yeah, actually, That's here I is. planned this, but I just I had it easily. This is from uh, a private prison company's financial filings. Uh, this last couple of days, the demand for our facilities and services could be adversely affected by the relaxation of enforcement efforts, the expansion of alternatives to incarceration and detention, leniency in conviction or parole standards, and sentencing practices through the decriminalization of certain activities that are currently proscribed by criminal laws. Any changes with respect to drugs and controlled substances or illegal immigration could affect the number of persons arrested, convicted, and sentenced. This is 
thereby potentially reducing demand for correction correctional or detention facilities to house them. <laughs> if we stop arresting people for bullshit, that could affect our ability to make money off of them. That's so yeah. fucked up. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, the private prisons, obviously their own brand of horrible, but you know, even like publicly run prisons are, I mean, there's been all kinds of things with them too, you know? Oh yeah, no the the whole the, you know, that gets into the whole bail thing and like you know in, here in L.A. the L.A. County jails like there's just stories of people being brought into the prison they're supposed to be whatever put through the process but they get handcuffed to a bench and this bench is in a room that it just smells like shit and piss because people have been locked up so long in there and they're not allowed to use the bathrooms and they're shitting on the floor and these are just people that had just could have gotten arrested for anything yeah it's just a disgusting horrific thing we've created it's dehumanizing it's monstrous and and also like even if it's even if it's a public prison it's still jobs it's jobs for cops it's jobs for uh guards it's jobs like all those unions are are fighting against the legalization of pot because they want jobs it's a fucking shit show it's a total disaster and i'd also say this isn't new for the by for the biden administration because they learned this from obama this is the exact same thing that we went through with healthcare, a shitty version of something that everyone knows what is very obvious that should be done and and he this is what obama did with uh, climate change with the paris accords uh this is this is what you do you make this big announcement we've done this awesome thing and then it turns out you didn't really didn't do anything that good yeah and, you're gonna and walk at the it end back of the day, you're, you're going to walk it back further and then people get mad at you and, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And there's a guy over there and he goes, hey, I hate them and I want to kill them. And that person goes, oh, that guy seems interesting. And he fucking goes over there and votes Republican. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? You're not giving anybody anything. And then there's a guy over there in the corner going, I fucking hate that person that fucked you over and they go vote for him. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think, it, you know, it also like just kind of take the student loan example. I mean, it, it oh. completely diffuses like all of the energy for like actual like bigger reform. And that's and, yeah. And then it also like I mean, it's you know, it's complicated because like anyone getting, you know, ten thousand dollars that they didn't have like that's a W. But, yep. you know, it's like. I think yeah but you know that's not happening right exactly. like they've they've walked it all back and now the rules have changed and now yeah, hardly it, anybody's getting ten thousand dollars it applies to way less people now yeah um yeah. Most so, progressive president ever stop it yeah i mean and that's the Pure thing child too, poverty. Is that, like child, child poverty got these, cured like the the this like rhetoric of like you know okay like what do you want you know you're waiting for utopia or whatever it makes it seem like part of the function of it is to make leftists seem like completely unreasonable people or not willing to compromise at all and it's like no we live in a world of compromise nobody thinks that we're getting communist utopia tomorrow but like the very mm. basics of like everyone should have like access to uh or you know a roof over their head food yeah i mean this is you well, don't the have to be when, the people who say that are are defending their political approach which is to start from a deeply compromised position yeah right to compromise further what they don't understand is you have to start from a strong position from a pure position and 
and then proceed to whittle it down to the place where it's livable. Yeah. And, and they don't. I mean, it's why Obamacare starts as their watered down version of a fucking Republican plan. And then they go, let's talk to the Republicans now. Yeah, no, it's no. really terrible. I mean, and it's like, you know, it's deeply cynical. I think, you know, it, it is like this sort of, uh, you know, this this thing where it's the, the, nego the negotiation process you're describing, it, it should be obvious to everyone yeah. who is has ever negotiated a salary, for example, which is if yeah. you want to, you know, make $60,000 a year, you, you don't, don't start by don't asking for 4000 Yeah, you don't go like, okay, yeah, you know, I, so I've uh, I've looked at this and, you know, I think it would be um, easy for you to give me $40,000 a year if at some point down the line you want to give me sixty. You know, we could discuss that in 30 years. You're not ending up with even $45,000. And let's be way. clear, the person you're talking about is already making fifty. Yeah. That's that's the thing. No, I, I have a bill. I, I keep thinking I should run for president. I have one bill and I know how to do it. And it's it is a matter. It is like you want compromise, here's compromise. Here's my bill. Dave Dave's heard this theory. Uh this is the um uh the kill Jeff Bezos bill. <laughs> and my bill is to kill Jeff Bezos and take all of his money and give it to people who need it. Now let's start compromising. Because you know, hopefully we end up somewhere in the middle with like, okay, we don't kill Jeff Bezos and we leave him with five million dollars. Yeah. And now he's going, that could have been worse. Yeah. And we're like, look, we compromised. We showed you how to do it. And yeah. everybody's happy. Everybody's happy with that, right? Is there anyone who's not happy with that, Dave? Uh, yeah, not nah, um, Bezos. No, yeah, I mean, very, it's, it could have been a lot worse for him. <laughs> it's it's so stupid and weird, like, the fact that, like, people don't understand that to even get something like a public option, you have to push for free universal health care. Yeah. You know? There's... Yeah. I, uh, man, this, it makes me so mad. And I think that like, you know, you see like liberals, like I, I've been thinking about this so much because it just becomes harder and harder and harder to tell what the difference is between a liberal and a conservative. And obviously liberals a wide range. Like there's some people who call themselves liberal that are actually, you know, basically aligned with Bernie hundred percent, you know, mm -hmm. but they're yeah. just like, Oh, I understand that we're not going to get utopia. But like with all of these like right leaning people, like what's the difference between somebody who says, you know, Oh, I'd love to have Medicare for all or a public option, but it's never going to happen. So shut the fuck up. And somebody who just says, you know, fuck you, you don't deserve healthcare. Like, is there right. really any difference? Right. You know, yeah, there's not, there's none. There's none. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you don't get there by um, making reasonable demands. No. No. You just don't. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you guys ready to talk about uh, our favorite ex-president? Our bud. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with the George W. Bush Masterclass. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. 
Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Life requires prioritization. Uh, whether you're president or whether you're the CEO of a company or whether you run in some organization, it's essential to have priorities. I love how we can't think of another example of somebody who might need priorities. <laughs> if you're president, president or CEO, CEO or you're running something like you can't just, I don't know if you're just yeah. like some schmuck trying to get through the day. You gotta, a feudal lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the very least, you got to learn how to prioritize breakfast over lunch in terms of, I mean, he just doesn't even get that. He can't think. I've had these moments. I probably should admit this. Like I'm writing a script and some character, you come up with a character who needs to have a job. And they're not a they're not an essential character. It's not like you're writing a character, you know, a movie about them where you have to think about it. They just have to walk on, have a job. And I have a time where I'm sitting there going, what's a job people have? <laughs> you, just, you get disconnected yeah. from the world, but this guy can't even imagine a human being who doesn't run things. Yeah, he can't. That's not what he knows. It's amazing. It's just the most it's like He's, I don't know, man. We all know the meritocracy is bullshit, but this is such a flagrantly insulting example of how it's bullshit because he yeah. truly sucks and he's, he's dumb. He's genuinely like one of the worst examples of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But maybe he can teach us this guy because the obvious question um, when someone tells you the priorities are important, well, he's going to ask it and then he's going to answer it for us. Yeah. Maybe he's a leftist hero in a very meta way because he just proves that there is no uh, meritocracy at all. Exactly. <laughs> so here he is asking the important question and then answering it for us. How, how do you set priorities? You figure out what's important to you. Um, did anybody notice that you just said the exact same thing using different words? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought you were playing the same clip for a second. <laughs> like, how do you figure out what's important to you? Just look at your priorities. How do you figure out your priorities? Just figure out what's important to you. It's like a douchebag Ouroboros. <laughs> exact douchebag Ouroboros. Uh, that needs to be a podcast or a band. Um, but anyway, so this 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 whole chunk, and this really is the last chunk with any kind of substance in it. We'll we'll get to the last one. We'll probably take care of it in about thirty five seconds, I think, um, unless one of you guys has something surprising to say about painting. Um. <laughs> But he gets into like you know how to prioritize what's important to you, and uh, let's 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 go. Let's talk about ego. I think you got to have a pretty big ego to run for president. I mean, only me out of three hundred fifty million of you. Uh, but the key thing is to keep your life in balance. I happen to believe religion helps keeping a sense of humility in your heart. Uh, I also know that power can corrupt. How does he know power can corrupt? <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, yeah, I, I actually, that, that you, you think you're being funny, but how does he? Because he clearly doesn't think that he knows that from first firsthand experience. Maybe he is claiming he saw it. <laughs> I've been in rooms. Yeah. With Democrats. That's right. With Democrats. He just knows, he knows, he knows how it feels in his Jesus belly. Yeah. He's had both 
devils on both the devil and the angel on his shoulder. Or was that he just chose an the angel every time, but it was hard. Was that an overshare? Yeah. Or might have been. Well, I mean, fine. he is he, he does have a vice president. His name is Cheney. So talk about power corrupts like the ultimate example. You think he just sat there and watched Dick and just Although his dad, uh, I think he sat there and watched Dick a lot. Yes, but I, his dad, his dad uh, was also a great example of power corrupts. Fantastic example. Was he ever I ran Contra no. scandal. Yeah, and, but that was. Are you saying he didn't start at that place? The George Bush Senior started out a good man and slowly became. No, well, I think that as they get into it, they become worse and worse. Right, but I'm saying yeah. from I'm trying to get very specific. I'm trying to bear down on George W. Bush's perspective. I'm trying to figure out if he accidentally told us something about himself or if he genuinely doesn't know. And in, no, he and who not. is he no, talking about not. in his mind if he if he knows the power can corrupt, if not himself? He he absolutely does not know that. He's not absolutely not saying that about himself. Absolutely right. not. Right. Okay. Well, I can deal with him being evil because... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I don't know if for him it is power corrupts I, I, he has such a disturbingly weird morality. It's like, it's, um, it is very Trumpish in its way of just like, well, I'm, I believe in God. So whatever, get, whatever I do goes like, right. that's really what, because his actions are, I mean, just take, just take California and the energy crisis. If you, if you just take everything else out, right? Katrina, everything else, you just take the California energy crisis. Right. He allows these energy companies to, just run riot, do whatever in the fuck they want. They're in the White House. They're coming up with plans about how they can dominate um, using deregulation uh, laws. They 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 get California's place where it's like kind of deregulated, but not deregulated. Perfect. Now we can attack them. We're buying energy at rates that are so astounding. It takes us years to pay them off. And he's fucking cool with all that. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. that's o that's OK. So that's one of those things where people go, he's better than Trump. I'm like, well, how many people did that actually like genuinely harm? Because now you're talking about energy, things people need to survive, sure. heat. Uh, like how many people did it really fucking harm? And he doesn't care because he's a Christian. Right. And and it's well, fine. No, because his interpretation the end of, the day, of his Christianity allows him to do Right. That. No, that's I'm saying his version of it yeah, is... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, the more it's like these people who who who's a president who you think walked in one thing and walked out another, walked out of the office, going, "Jesus Christ, power, power does corrupt." Look at me. I think Obama on some level. You think? Do you think on some on some level on some level not? I mean, he was so? always a centrist, but I definitely think that. On some level, Obama understands the game and understands that he hurt people. I wonder, because I mean, I, I, um, it's funny, man. I have a, a a good friend who was a big, big, big muckety muck in Hillary Clinton's 08 campaign. Um, did not choose to come back in '16. Um, and uh, let's let that sit there while people think about it. And um, <laughs> he and I remember he's a good friend. He's somebody that you could argue politics with all night, and it never got personal, never got angry because he always came from a position, no matter who, how many of these people he sat in a room with and knew personally was like, I could be wrong. 
And I remember we would get into these situations where he would just go off on Obama in 08, back when we were all sort of like, you know, a bunch of us were like working for him and everything. And he was like, he's a phony, he's an actor, he doesn't believe in anything. He's just, you know, it's, he's, he's, he's just aspiring. He just wants to get in with, you know, the club. He wants to get into the club and get in with the rich kids. And we'd all be like, yeah, 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 you like Hillary. And, you know, and I sit here now in 2022 and you look back and you're like, hmm, ah, huh. You know, like literally what's the first thing Obama does after Donald Trump becomes president and the nation is going to be burned to the ground, we're told, is he's off fucking sky skydiving with billionaires. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. I, I wonder if Jimmy Carter's that guy, because Jimmy, there was some bad stuff that happened. You know, people sort of forget. Carter mm. was not a great president. He's no. clearly a great ex-president. And there's clearly a soul at work. And he's clearly trying to do very good things, you know, with his post-presidency. I mean, to me, it's like, I think if I had to guess without being inside their head, like the difference between like somebody like Obama and Bush, like I, I think that Bush's like understanding of himself morally seems to be a little bit more like, well, you know, I'm a person of God and I'm a person of money and both of those things are inherently good and therefore um i am good and whatever i do is good and whereas right. like obama is more like somebody that i think what's it for me it's 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 like a, it's a bit more like obama thinks that doing these you know really sociopathic things are sort of fundamental to the process of politics and mm. like that anybody who does not think it has to be that way is juvenile and right. you know yeah. it's it's yeah. just like it's how the sausage is made you know right. like it's unfortunate that all of these people uh are you know dying in drone strikes it's unfortunate that uh, all these people are being shot by the police it really is genuinely bad but like it's childish to think that you could yeah, just no, go you in are, there and yes, solve exactly. it you know exactly yeah yeah um uh, practical idealism wasn't that the phrase dave Mm -hmm. uh, but every now and then I want to be fair to this guy he actually this next little bit that he talks about actually made me really really like him sort of it gets a little weird at the end but I have a thing it's really tough and and it is I've, I've I, I pay for my sins by being married to somebody who is one of the worst offenders at this my wife is late to everything all the time <laughs> there's many good qualities I'm told I have one or two bad ones that make up for hers, but that makes a me lie. I, I, I don't like to be late. I don't like people that make me fucking insane. And, and here's where I fell in love with um, George W. Bush. I'm a stickler for being on time. I think it is rude for politicians to make people wait. I think you're basically saying, I'm taking you for granted. And it doesn't matter whether you're inconvenienced. When I said a meeting would start at eight, it meant eight, not eight ten. Uh, you know, an early moment happened when Carl Rove saunters into the Oval Office uh, five minutes after the meeting was called. So people are sitting around the Oval Office waiting for the meeting be meeting to begin, and realize we're all not present and wait for the final person to arrive. It happens to be Carl. I said, "If you're late again, I'm going to fire you." And uh, it sent a chilling signal to people who said. Wow, if he fires him for being five minutes late, he'll definitely fire me. And so therefore nobody was late. And it shows that the organization is not slovenly or sloppy as to how they address an issue.
that the minds are point on and that the analysis is sharp. He is correct. No, he's not. He's 100% correct. I'd like to note that we started exactly on time today and our analysis is on point. <laughs> I Dave was hate, on time. This makes me I like hated him less. those kind of jobs. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely hated those kind of jobs. Um, what the work you do is what should matter if you roll in 10, 15 minutes late. It doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. Uh, the, he's the wor- he's the absolute worst type of boss. Um, and also, hey, buddy, you were a, a fucking alcoholic druggie for fucking 30 years. You think you weren't late to shit all the fucking time? And fuck you. People have fucking problems. Something happened with the dog. Something happened with the kid. There was fucking a, a car accident. There's a million reasons you can be fucking late. People are late no, all the time. None. Get there the fuck over it. Okay, when you put it in that context, it's like I'm, I'm not. Also, I'm just talking about, what about, I'm just talking about forgiveness? Life. I'm just talking about life. I don't care about the job. By the way, here's a great thing. Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, used to start every production. He would do this. He he fired somebody on the first day, and it was always a plant with that guy. But it just like it put the fear of God in the crew, which I also was hilarious. Oh and I'm God. wondering because apparently the story about Rove is true. I'm I'm wondering if it was staged. Um, interesting. I Maybe, but it's not that hard to be ten minutes late or five minutes late. Like that's a thing that easily happens. Yeah, not really. It really isn't. But, but I don't, you, have, you have to tell yourself that to feel good about yourself. Believe me, Kate. I know the symptoms. Um, I think I, it's like to me. It's just I be I, I you know being on time is. Is a it's considerate and, and important. I always feel Thank really you. bad when I'm late, yeah. but at the same no, time, no, but don't say but. Oh, well, I was just I I think you'll actually you know racism is terrible, but <laughs> I mean George Bush is a person who obviously has a ton of moral flexibility on everything else, and it's weird for him to be completely <laughs> okay, like fine, yeah, fine. <laughs> like here's I just love the that story here's so the much. hell I'll die on, not the Iraq yeah. War, but like that being five made me so late. happy. But apparently, speaking of Rove, apparently there was a lot of mutual admiration between them, but they were not actually friends, which I think is interesting. I thought they were. No, I mean they, you know, they got along fine, but um, Bush Bush hated it. In fact, when people referred to Karl Rove as Bush's brain, remember, remember that phrase? Yeah. And yeah. apparently, if you're around W, and you praised uh, Rove's skills and thinking and his sort of electoral insights too much. Um, you fell out of favor with W. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yep. I feel like uh, this re- being referred to as um, you know, Bush's brain. It really makes me hope that people referred to W as someone's Bush. That <laughs> that'd be cool. It's yeah. Carl Rove. <laughs> yeah, Carl's Bush. Yeah. Was, uh, oh my God, that's great. No, well, I just wanted, did, there was a time when James. Remember when, remember, remember when your wife said, uh, you know, no. I to no, he's the one who's going to think about this. Um, Dave's wife once said, I think she was drunk, that I'm the smartest person she knows. And uh, Dave just has glared at me a certain way ever since. Well, we know it's not true. Um, he call did it, call it Turd call Blossom. Wife, calling his wife a liar on yeah. the national podcastery. 100%. I'm a big uh, fan yeah, he of- did. He, he what? Oh, I was just going to say, I'm I'm fans of, like, categories. Like, I feel like smartest person I know is mm-hmm. a category that can include up to 20 people. Best friend, 15 people in there, you know? Yeah. Turd Blossom. How about that? 
Cherry blossoms. I love it. One. Was it wasn't that his official uh was that like his secret service name or is that I don't just, think so. That just I think that's name? just what Bush called him, yeah. Which is such a great example of how shitty of a boss he is. Like he he's that bully boss. He's that yeah, dick. That's not a he's talking about how great he is, and then he's like calling like his the guy he really needs to help him, like turd blossom, because he's at at heart, he's a total dick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although to be fair, I was just looking. It's it's a for a flower that grows in a pile of cow dung. So, oh yeah, he might actually in his there own way have been complimenting it. But <laughs> <laughs> enough of that. Uh, I feel bad that we're doing this in the afternoon and not. You know, we should all be drinking doing this because he does. Uh, uh, he picks up next and he starts talking about his drinking, which I thought was kind of interesting. I didn't think he'd go here. Um, yeah sort of a legendary uh, drunken maniac back in the day. Big big cocaine yeah. fiend too, allegedly. Allegedly, not that we would know. Yeah, he enjoyed the he enjoyed the blow. I like to drink. And uh it was uh you know something I did a fair amount when I was in college. I did a fair amount when I was at uh pilot training. Nothing better than, you know, flying a training jet and then sitting around the bar with your buddies drinking. And over time, it became habitual. I was too disciplined to be uh, what you would call a raging alcoholic. As a father, I began to realize that alcohol was competing for my affections with my girls. And this isn't an instantaneous uh, revelation. It, it took a while for me to realize that I was I could easily shirk my duty as good husband and good father by spending time drinking. So I, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't, but wouldn't, isn't, if your drinking is getting in the way of your relationship with say your children, is it, doesn't that make you, am I wrong? That's what not you would a, call a raging saying, alcoholic. Yeah. Well, he's, he's saying he's a controlled alcoholic. Is that, is that wasn't, this isn't the thing. A mild alcoholic? He's saying he's not an alcoholic at all. That's you're an alcoholic. Like usually people who are alcoholics for a long time say they're not alcoholics. That's what he's that's what he's doing. By the he, way, the, the one thing I would like to point out is sort of people who aren't alcoholics. It's one of these makes <laughs> crazy. But you know what I mean. I mean Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's he clearly had a problem. Uh and he and he then, you know, figured out a way to stop drinking, but it sure does sound like he had yeah, I he's mean, kind of describing the symptoms of. Yeah, you know, I, I, and don't most again. I well, my my experience with them is I've, I've had some, but it's limited enough. Don't people who are alcoholics don't some of them come to the decision that I'm an alcoholic and they decide they need to do something about it? Is it that? Yes, that's usually what they don't all. <laughs> So I have some insight into this. I'm not okay. going to say how, uh, but um, you know, I, I I think that there's there's some truth here because it's like I mean, who knows if he's telling the truth? But like the kind of old understanding of alcoholism was very like AA based of either right. you're an alcoholic or you're not, and. Uh, I think the way it's moving is very much like in terms of like a spectrum of either like mild substance use disorder, moderate or severe. And for a lot Katie, of people, did you are, just equate alcoholism with sexual preference? Like the Kinsey scale for alcoholism? Yeah. 
I am a bisexual with a mild substance use disorder. Uh, so yeah, um, as a member of this so, community. So Kate Willett, let's yeah. we're making some news here, thinks that homosexuality is a disease. Dave. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, I'll carry which on. Which is why I voted for George W. Bush twice. Um, but, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people who like can like you know maybe if they are towards the like sort of mild end of things mm -hmm. like it's potentially possible for them to especially with some kind of support like you know set limits and be like okay i'm only drinking oh sure you know, yeah, twice yeah. a week two drinks but it sounds yeah. you know it's it's totally what i guess what i'm saying is what he's saying is possible that yeah. he wasn't oh, oh no no alcoholic. i agree i agree 100 yeah. percent. it's it's a part yeah. where he's like i'm not i, I was never an alcoholic it's like no man you you are not one of those alcoholics who required an intervention that's yeah. yeah yeah it's very it's very common for alcoholics functioning alcoholics to say they're not alcoholics because they're functioning like they they're going to work they're doing their stuff but right. when you say stuff like is getting in the way of my family well then now that's <laughs> it's kind of problematic i thought that was sort of the definition <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's out of control. It's just uh, fucking up most of my life. But and you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that you can also be um, sober and not functioning. That is an example of where I am on the spectrum. So <laughs> you can have never even said the word alcohol and still have a terrible relationship with your kids. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, I, I love. There's a little slip here. That was kind of interesting, or maybe it's not a slip. I got drunk on my 40th birthday with my best friends at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs, woke up the mo next morning and started running, felt like hell, and said, that's it. And I went and told Laura, I said, I'm, I'm quitting drinking. She kind of rolled her eyes, you know, she'd heard that line before. And, uh, but I meant it this time, and I did. What was really interesting about the running treadmill in alcohol is when you quit drinking alcohol, your body craves sugar. And so I started eating chocolate. And so I was back on the treadmill, but for different reasons. And uh, I never would be sitting here speaking to the master class had I not quit drinking. Uh, I would not have been president had I not quit drinking. Uh, when I drank, I said foolish things. When I drank, I did foolish things. And uh, I'm glad I quit. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. But I'm a disciplined person. And this was the first real case of being disciplined. So first, I meant it this time, which is um, yeah. He uh, said it a bunch of times. Yeah, I'm gonna quit <laughs> drinking. I'm gonna quit drinking. I've gotta quit drinking. And but I don't have a problem. Specify, but he's clearly like a fully grown man at this point. He's got to be. He says 40. he's forty. He's forty. Yeah. It was and, his and, fortieth birthday. Right, and this kind of it kind of reminds me of the nine eleven thing. He goes, "I'm a disciplined person. This is the first case of me being disciplined." <laughs> Sort of like you need also, to be prepared for crises. I we 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 decided that after nine eleven. <laughs> so if you're not if you're not a uh, alcoholic, you don't have a problem with drinking, but you never would have been president mm -hmm. if you had kept drinking. Mm -hmm. Does that seem like maybe there was a problem with the drinking? So he's basically saying I had a big problem with drinking, but I'm, I was not an alcoholic. That's what he's saying. Right. right. He said he's not a raging alcoholic. Did he say he's not an alcoholic at all? Mm. Yeah, but he did earlier like say he's not. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then of course there's this. Do you guys remember this? Because like I, we thought about this a lot at the time when he's talking about now, and I, I, 
when this happened, we thought about him being potentially, you know, possibly an alcoholic, allegedly an alcoholic at the time. And then as I'm listening to him talk about that, it reminded me of this event. A health scare for the president after he chokes and falls unconscious. What happened? How serious was it? Where was the Secret Service? Wait a minute. Don't you Secret remember? supposed to save you from pretzels. Yeah. They're supposed to jump in between you and a pretzel. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, choked on a pretzel, fell down. Didn't he have like a black eye the next day or something? Was like, I'm on. just imagining the Secret Service being like, sir, stop. That's a big bite. <laughs> <laughs> you can't chew that. <laughs> Knocking out of his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were a couple times. There was another time where there's a video of him at like a wedding or something, and mm-hmm. he's like walking around giving people shit. And I was like, "Oh, I know that guy. That guy's drunk." Yeah. I mean, he could, you know, he's probably still battling whatever it is, and every once in a while he takes a little tip. But the the black eye pretzel thing was definitely not normal. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh... Weirdness with my... But he wa- he wants he wants us to believe, and the whole reason for this is that that Christ helped him stop drinking. That's what this is. Yeah, it's the thing. That's the whole point. Correct. And and that's that's what takes us to, uh, in fact, Billy Graham. At one point in time, I had met Billy Graham. He didn't lecture me on anything, but I guess he could sense something was off. And he seeks me out the next day. I don't remember what was said, but I do know he sent me a copy of a Bible that was, you know, like Bible 101, easy to understand Bible. And I started reading it for some reason. Um, I'm not a Christian. I mean, I've read, you know, chunks of the Bible. I thought, are there easy to read editions of the Bible? Billy Graham had one made just for George W. Bush. It's like this guy I mean, can't handle the real version. <laughs> we have we need we need the one with pictures. <laughs> I mean, is that what he? Yeah, I mean, like, is this like a kid's version of the Bible that he gave him? I yeah, that's really weird. I did not pick that up the first time. So really weird. I mean, there's so like yeah, there's like books that are like it's not the Bible, but they're books that like you know describe what happens in the bible so like maybe bible for dummies yeah <laughs> yeah or bible for children bible for teens or like the the propaganda literature of like yeah you know uh-huh. yeah yeah so he didn't get a real bible he got a <laughs> he didn't get a, a real bible. bible he got a bible for dummies <laughs> Do, yeah. you think wouldn't that be a little offensive i mean the actual bible which i have read is in all fairness like it's, oh, not it's not fun to read. A compelling read. Most parts. There are some parts that are very compelling where it's like, I mean, the compelling in a train wreck way where there's this part where like these two ladies like decide to get their father drunk and bang him. And it's like, mm-hmm. what yeah. the fuck is going on here? Why? why? Are you thinking, are you thinking of Pornhub? Yeah, she's confused no. with Pornhub. <laughs> this is the story of uh, Lot's oh daughters. It's in the Old Gosh, Testament. Yeah. And, I gotta uh, read the Bible. Yeah, 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 you know, I mean, there's all kinds of shit. There's like, um, I mean, there's there's just a lot of weird, 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 weird sex stuff yes. in the Bible. Um, but, you know, other there's than that, too. it's pretty dry. There's good stuff, too. Just, but, yeah, I would think I'm president of the United States, and I meet Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And Billy Graham gives me a Bible. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, okay, that's what Billy Graham does. But Billy Graham gives me a easy to read Bible. <laughs> yeah. just, I'm never going to get over that. Yeah. Pop up Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's the little like buttons that you press to like get it to make animal noises and stuff. <laughs> yeah, my kids got those. Um, anyway, the, uh, uh, yeah, well, that brings us to this whopper. And this is one of my favorite. And we'll, we'll close out this, this segment. But uh, uh, this could, this could take a little while because. I feel like this is a loaded topic. Do you guys actually remember George W. Bush's presidency? The, yeah. The whole thing? Because yeah. uh, he's got something interesting to say about uh, how he conducted himself in office. It's very important if you're leading an organization not to try to impose your religion on people you're leading. It, it's a free choice. And if someone does not believe what you believe, that should not preclude you from caring about them or listening to them. Oftentimes, politics and religion gets commingled, and that's not healthy for either, in my judgment. And uh, I hope it's said that George W. Bush adhered to principles that he gained through his religion, uh, that he had a heart open enough for a lot of people based upon his religion, but never tried to impose religion on on the people he was leading. Stunning. I can't believe he said that out loud. Uh, yeah, isn't that amazing? amazing? I mean... That, you know, he 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 did all this stuff for tax breaks for uh, churches so that they could not tax breaks, but funding for churches. So uh, trying to move sort of the social programs uh, away from secular systems and into allowing churches to be like the forefront in communities for charity and, and stuff. He he pushed all this all this kind of crap where it just completely blurred the line. Well, even his own program, yeah. the ones like one, arguably maybe the only good thing he did the PEPFAR, the work with AIDS in Africa, where it was like, yeah, we're going to do everything we yeah. can to, to stop AIDS in Africa, except no, no, <laughs> it's all abstinence training. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, I was in your religion. I was in a relationship like this is like towards the uh, later half of his years, but um, I was in a relationship with a, a woman. We were domestic partners and you know i remember like he was talking about a constitutional amendment against same-sex marriage i mean it was yeah. like a level of a, a legal homophobia that feels i think actually pretty distant even not that many years later but i mean this was you know the like family values quote unquote thing was yeah. was a very big deal for him and and are we gonna pretend and that he never called the war in iraq a crusade well, hold on. Let's <laughs> let me let me read something. Gonna... Um, this is a this is from Harper's Magazine uh, writer Jeff Charlotte. It's it's titled "Jesus Killed Muhammad." Um, it's about a, a I think it's in Basra. Um, the rest of that Easter was spent under siege. Insurgents held off Bravo Company, which was called in to rescue the men in the compound. Ammunition ran low. The helicopter tried to drop more, but missed. As dusk fell, the men prepared four Bradley fighting vehicles for a run-and-gun to draw fire away from the compound. Humphrey headed down to the roof to get the briefing. He found his lieutenant with a couple of sergeants. They were snickering like schoolboys. They had commissioned the Special Forces interpreter, an Iraqi from Texas, to paint a legend across their Bradley's armor in giant red Arabic script. What's it mean? Asked Humphrey. Jesus killed Muhammad. One of them told him. Mm. 
the soldiers guffawed. Then they got in their their Bradley vehicles and they drove through, uh, I believe it's Basra. The Humphrey heard the keen of the call to prayer and then the crackle of the bullhorn with the interpreter answering in Arabic, then in English for the troops, insulting the prophet. Humphrey's men loved it. They were young guys, you know, said Humphrey. They were scared. A special forces officer said, stood next to the interpreter, a big, tall, blonde, grinning type. Jesus killed Muhammad, chanted the interpreter. Jesus killed Muhammad. And they drove through the city doing that. And they did this shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Because it was a crusade. And because George Bush had started the war and said it was a crusade, Christians... Nationalist Christians, Americans signed up to go there to fight a religious fucking war. And this is the kind of shit they were doing. And this is compassionate conservatism or whatever, Christianity or whatever the fuck it is. Like, this is barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. Did not impose his religion on anyone. No, not at all. I mean, and that's Bibles all over Iraq. None of that happened. And I guess, I mean, here's the funny thing is, is with these master classes, I mean, I almost wonder if we're doing more harm than good by, by doing these kind of deep dives in them. Cause then you never read about them. You just hear like, boop, so-and-so is doing a master class and that's the end of it. You know, Hillary Clinton's didn't make any news. Bill Clinton's didn't make any news, et cetera. And Bush's certainly didn't, but it seems to me that if George W. Bush is out there in public saying, I never imposed my religion on anyone. That, that is something that, in a rational world, the New York Times might pick up on, you know? Yeah. Yes. Like, I mean, legitimately, a a legitimate news source should cover this and go, here's the crazy shit that's happening on Masterclass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a bunch of fucking clowns. Um, <laughs> it's really no offense, insane. clowns. Uh, yeah, not to mention just... everything that's happened. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, you probably remember better than I do, but there was a lot of movement in the anti-abortion movement during George W. Bush's time in office. All of yeah. these conservative judge appointments, oh, um, you know, clinic closures. I think federal funding for Planned Parenthood was just constantly up for debate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was definitely like, you know, it, it's things have gotten a bit more theocratic at this time. But I mean, that was definitely like the... I can't remember. I, I, he might have been the like most imposing of religion guy in recent memory. Maybe not. Maybe Ronald Reagan. I mean, I know Ronald Reagan made his like, devil Reagan deal with, the, uh, yeah. with yeah. the moral majority or whatever. But, you know. Well, I think the difference is between Reagan and Bush is Reagan didn't care and just did whatever his little kitchen cabinet told him. Like Trump, Bush, kind I think. of. Yeah. Like Bush literally said, I was chosen by God to lead the country like that. He said that out loud to other people. So that's a completely different derangement. Like, yeah. I'm just imagining God. He's like, right. And God is just like the biggest like asshole frat bro ever. <laughs> God is just like some guy who does keg stands and it's awful to women. Or, yeah. you know, we're just being punished. It's. Uh, yeah. Well, there's definitely something to watching this and reading. And, you know, I did a little dive into the Christianity stuff. And um, he definitely, his takeaway from 9-11 was that God put him here to take care of those heathens. Like, that's, right. 
That's that's why 9-11 went the way it did. Right. You'd think there would be a section on that, like what to do when God calls you to leadership or something. <laughs> yeah. You know. Although I suppose really not that, you know, that if God does that, he'd probably tell you what he wants done too and you don't really have to. It was yeah. weird because, so I grew up in like evangelical church and you learn pretty early that you can like get your way a lot of the time uh, by just saying like God has called you to do something. Like I really wanted to go <laughs> on this a trip. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, God has called me to go on this trip. <laughs> and I was allowed to go, you know, like he's telling me it's in my heart, you know. <laughs> so, That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> God calling me. I can't even get a regular guy to call me. Hey. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's so much. I feel like it's a little bit worse to go to war, though. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. God told yeah. me to bomb you. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, well, there's only one more chapter, and then uh, uh, there's a study guide, too, I want to talk about for a minute before you get done. And the, and the last chapter, I mean, did you guys, last chapter's hilarious. It's uh, 18 minutes. Its title is I Happy Are it. the Painters, and it's literally just George uh, with a little visit of uh, uh, Laura talking about uh, the painting he's gotten into since he left office. Here's, here's Laura Bush on the subject. Recently, George was looking through a book of paintings, and he pointed out a painting by Thomas Moran, saying how much he liked it. And I said, we had a painting by Thomas Moran hanging just outside the treaty room at the White House. I used to look at this painting almost every day. George passed it too nearly every night when he went into the treaty room to continue working after dinner, but he'd never noticed it. In the White House, I had the chance to look at every piece of art but the issues for my husband were so great that he didn't have time to notice the beautiful paintings that hung on the walls. His attention was elsewhere. I'm grateful that at last, George has a chance to develop his artistic eye. What does that have to do with leadership? <laughs> it's an 18 minute chapter. Literally. I mean, it's like I, I, the most I have learned, I will say I didn't, how many we watched? We've watched many hours of George W. Bush teaching us shit, and literally, I think the only thing I genuinely learned is about cold wax painting, which I did not know was a thing. <laughs> yeah, he's teaching yeah, art well, class. That, That's the type of I leadership. I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. The, the the wax thing was interesting. Was yeah, he like the like, melts oh. his wax. He does these paintings, and then he makes he like slaps the stuff on the painting, and then he slaps it on another canvas, and then you have a version of it that's and you've got like two versions of the painting that are opposite each other, and like that's that's the kind of stuff that would have turned me on in about fifth grade. You know, isn't it amazing though that he he has these like three important art people helping mm -hmm. him? Like it's mm -hmm. just so it's also fucking gross. Like he's not a guy just learning how to paint. He's like got these like experts, yeah, yeah world class just, experts like helping yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. It's just insane. To the whole thing was really the fact that it was eighteen minutes long. I could not believe what was happening. Yeah. I, I talked to several artist friends and, and they all, they all just thought it would just be mean to come on and talk about his art. <laughs> really? <laughs> he deserves it. It's a he crusade does. against his art. And the thing that he does it, while yeah. the one that he does while he it's filming and then mm -hmm. he like presses him. It's terrible. 
Yeah, it's terrible. And then he makes it worse. He keeps putting black around it. It makes it worse. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's just funny because it's like, you know, you think about like parents with their I mean, you both have kids, but, you know, it's like when you're with your when you're with a child, no matter what they do, you're like, oh, that's so good, you know, yes. and he's getting that treatment. Like, he's just a little tiny baby. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and, and, and honestly, it's, but it is one of those things, you know, imagine, imagine if people had been more encouraging of Adolf Hitler's painting in his early life, or imagine yeah. if George W. had discovered painting when he was 25 instead of 70. Uh, that would have been funny too. He could have been like the frat bro that loved painting, you know, just like Yeah, he could hey, be failed no, presidential candidate Jeb Bush's interesting or, artistic brother. Yeah. Or Hunter Biden. Or Hunter Biden. Oh, uh, uh, who's painting sell for a lot a, more, I believe. I don't I don't know that W is selling his paintings though, so that's He's such it's such a transparent attempt to make him likable and nice and so pathetic, but it would be so awesome if they went to Show his paintings, and it was just like blown up kids in Iraq. <laughs> like, yeah. or like the Abu Ghraib, like prison. Bush's like, nightmares. The hood. <laughs> Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah Guantanamo Bay. He could, do, he could do a show. It could be called My Conscience. And it would just be <laughs> all the horrible, horrible just, images that haunt him in his sleep. I mean, you can't really. I, I would imagine that it's just like, is there even a way that human beings are psychologically capable of reckoning with the level of harm he's done because i remember like 10 years ago maybe a little bit less i was asked to give a speech at my friend's wedding and i accidentally ran over time and i still feel bad about it like i just it still haunts me and I, i'm like trying to get rid of the guilt and i'm just like Damn, if the, if that kind of shit that ultimately in the long run just doesn't really matter can stick with you, then like how does your brain even get your head around like the Iraq war? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you have to disconnect. It's actually it's funny because there's we're going we're going to talk at the end about about that disconnect that these people have to do. They just it's all you know politics just doesn't impact people in their mind somehow. Um because there's a study guide to this thing, which uh, uh, I read so you don't have to. It's mostly just sort of going through all the various chapters we've seen and trying to fill in a few things, and it's pretty boring. It's got charts and a little brief biography of Bush written by whoever wrote this thing. Um, there's one fun thing. There's uh, uh, look, plugs for other master classes built into it. There's a uh, section uh, called Landmark Presidential Personnel Decisions, and he writes, in a modern-day echo of President Lincoln's team of rivals, President Obama appointed his most formidable competition for the Democratic presidential nomination, masterclass instructor Hillary Clinton, to serve as his first Secretary of State. <laughs> masterclass instructor. Yeah, which is funny, though, because every time he talks about Bill Clinton, he never refers to him as a masterclass instructor, even uh... though. Um, let's see, and then there's the chapter on terrorism just fun um uh it's called it's called how the bush doctrine deployed preventative measures to stop further terrorist attacks um and it's just worth noting that um they don't get into this at all that uh, let's say 2017 report by the u.s government accountability office found that 85 deadly extremist incidents uh of of those which had occurred between september 11th 2001 uh and 2017 
Um, white supremacist extremist groups were responsible for 73 percent, hmm. while radical Islamist extremists were responsible for only 27. Uh, and um, 2012 study showed that from 2001 to 2012, only about nine American Muslims per year have taken part in terrorist plots in the U.S. In total, 20 incidents resulting in about 50 deaths, right-wing extremists responsible for about 340 attacks per year in the same amount of time killing more than five times the number of people killed by Muslims in the United States. You know what this is making me think about is like the like theocratic uh, lack of separation between church and state, this like Christian agenda. A lot of the big yeah. pushback on it was from these like atheist guys and they were also deeply Islamophobic. So it was yeah. like really? even the people that were yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the people that were calling him out were also like, but we can all agree but here. Fuck Muslims yeah. are terrorists. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Richard Dawkins. Sam I mean the yeah. The number of uh I and we did a dollop on this recently, the the Fort Dix five, um, but they um the number of of Muslim people who have been completely framed and put in prison by the FBI is astounding. And the, the one I always think of was this guy, uh, when, when the, he had mental health issues, uh, intelligence problems. And when they arrested him, he asked, uh, when he could see his mom. And then when he got sentenced to life in prison, he got in and he said, can I play Pokemon? And this was a mastermind behind a terrorist attack. Yeah. There's a, um, it's interesting. If you go on uh, uh, HBO Max, if you have the app, um, one of the few things, I, I'm sure there are others, but I've, I, it's the only thing I've ever looked for on there that HBO has done that I could not find. Um, and it is a documentary, which if you look around the internet, you can find called The Newberg Sting. And it's absolutely amazing. Cannot recommend it highly highly enough um and it is all existing surveillance footage from one of those operations in which um the fbi uh targets a guy coming out of prison um poor black guy on some some charge or other who ends up doing a kind of jailhouse conversion to islam who gets targeted and roped into this cell and it's an amazing thing to watch because he brings a couple of friends of his in uh who are also uh jailhouse buddies and the guy, the operative, um, is just constantly talking about the money he's going to get in from, you know, his brothers in Iraq, and they're going to use it to blow up synagogues. And you see these other guys that they're trying to frame, and they're all like, oh, yeah, when's that money getting here? And it's so clear. Yes. Like, every see, it's comical that they're just going to bop this guy in the head and take his money. Yeah. And I mean, there's like, literally like, oh, yeah, yeah, synagogues. Yeah, yeah, we hate those for sure. Yeah, yeah. What, sorry, when's the money coming? And it's going to be in what, consecutive bills or... <laughs> and it's insane. And uh, it ends with James Comey on CNN declaring uh, that we've captured another dangerous terrorist cell. Yeah. And it happens all the All the time. time. It's the same thing with the Fort Dix Five. Um, Chris Christie made his career off that. Yeah. And those guys had absolutely nothing to do with anything. Nothing. But, like, complete, the, guy, the guy, the narc who did all of it, who tried to, you know, uh, frame them, he made, like, $250,000. Yeah. By being a narc. Like, it's just, you know, it's money. It's crazy. But um, the thing that, that I enjoyed the most, and I thought we could kind of maybe go out on this, because it actually has nothing to do with Bush. Uh, but there is a section, because there's a bit in one of the earlier episodes we didn't talk about too much because it wasn't very interesting about um, uh, how you got to have humility and so forth. And it was about how 
uh, W brought his father and Bill Clinton together to work together on a project uh, aiding oh. East Asia after the tsunami hit and how they became great friends. And um, uh, there's a whole section in the study guide called Famous Bipartisan Odd Couples, as though it's unusual for people from different parties to be friends throughout politics. Um, he talks about it a little bit in this about uh, his father and Clinton. I, I love this bit. It's just a little weird. Uh, they became so close that President George H.W. Bush once said that he had become a father figure to President Clinton, whose own father had died before he was born. Um, Brian and I both spent a lot of time trying to find out if we could <laughs> confirm that Bill Clinton had ever said that, because I don't think that he did. But what a, what a weird thing. Yeah. Um, well, also, it's well, like, hold on. by the way, that's how Dave feels about me. You want to know, I'm a father yeah. figure, which is weird because we're practically the same age. But you know, I hated my father, right? <laughs> Give Bill Clinton a timeout. That's what I'm like. You know, if you're his dad and that guy is still running around, you're not doing your job yes. as father figure. Well, also that you know, as he got older, uh, uh, Senior Bush kept like grabbing women's asses and like like oh, he was right. a total yeah, masher. Yeah, that was a he went out of masher, so maybe he was a father figure. Just some father and son bonding time. But but the one that it hits on that really just like I, this one bugs me. It bugs me so much. Um, he talks about the deep friendship between Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia. Uh. Uh, the late justices Scalia and Ginsburg had very different judicial philosophies and frequently dissented from each other's opinions, but they left those disagreements in the courtroom. United by a shared love of opera and travel, they became close personal friends off the bench, inspiring not only their colleagues on the court, but also an opera. Scalia Ginsburg, which celebrates their <laughs> unlikely friendship. <laughs> and these people are on the Supreme Court. Uh, just like the, I want to talk about this for a minute, but just keep in mind that, like, you know, you can have friends. No one is here saying you shouldn't have friends with people who you have wild political disagreements with. I would say provided, provided that those, neither of you is in a position to enact policies that can actually impact millions of lives. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be fair? Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I found her eulogy for Scalia. Uh, and I want to play just a tiny clip for you. Once asked how we could be friends given our disagreement on lots of things, Justice Scalia answered, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. <laughs> And if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. And I would argue the problem is when you're on the Supreme Court, your ideas actually really, really, really do a lot of harm to actual people. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, I mean, and think about Scalia, like all the work he did to uh, uh, stop gay rights, to, um, uh, to stop women's reproductive rights, to, uh, uh, let's see, where's the... Uh, uh, Lawrence versus Kansas was a decision overturning a Texas law that criminalized gay sex. Scalia said this was a massive disruption of the current social order. Um, argued against voting rights uh, for African-Americans and other minorities. Uh, I mean, and there's also a guy who felt that like black students might do better at slower track schools. I mean, it, uh. the decisions that this guy made hurt people i would often uh, inarguably sometimes killing them yeah I, 
Yeah, it's a weird thing because it's like, you know, I've, I've seen, I've, I'm not, not trying to, it's definitely not a one-for-one one comparison, but I've seen like the way that people who really compromise their morals in comedy, like get ahead. And I would imagine that's like to get to the Supreme Court level, like you can't be like a super, super principled person because a lot of the things it takes to get there are morally compromising. So, you know you're probably already sort of a go-along to get-along type. And then, you know, they're there in a room together every day because it was before COVID. And, you know, it's like, on the, it benefits you to be nice to your colleagues. But, yeah, like, you really have to kind of completely detach yourself from the horror. I think in that Lawrence v. Texas case, the one that... Mm-hmm. The, the sodomy one, I think they actually, like, busted into those guys' like bedrooms. I'm pretty oh sure. Oh, God. Yeah. You, you, they have to act like the institution is amazing and wonderful. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to, is to act like these other monsters with them. You know, uh, uh, Sotomayor is, has been talking about how great of a dad, uh, Kavanaugh is and like what mm. a great guy he is. Like they, they have to act as if the only way, you delegitimize yourself, right? If you yeah. act like this person is a crazy religious uh, 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 nut, then now the whole institution is sort of undermined. So they can't have that in their brains. Yeah. Because essentially it is just an institution that is it's just for white supremacy and stockholders, you know, to prosper. That's all that fucking thing is. It's a terrible institution. It should not be, it should not exist. Yeah, I I do not disagree. And it's it's just you know, and the problem with everything being so centralized is that all these people hang out in this tiny little town mm-hmm. and they all get to know each other and they all party and and they sort of lose sight of what it is they're doing. You know, it is it is there is literally I mean, we live in a small town, a small business town, one might say, uh here in, in Hollywood in Los Angeles. And um you will you might be surprised to find that there are people who work on Marvel movies who have friends who work over at Warner brothers when they make DC movies, but uh-huh. there's nothing wrong with that. There's no downside to that. There's no, uh, uh, but you know, <laughs> this is different. And it's, it also bleeds over because the RBG thing just reminded me of something that just recently happened where uh, NPR's Nina Totenberg um, has now published a book. She, People knew they had this friendship. I don't think anybody knew quite the degree. She was very, very good friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she's written a book called Dinners with Ruth about their decades-long friendship. Like, to the extent that during the quarantine, Nia Totenberg's house was the only place that RBG went outside of her own home. Oh. That's how close they were. And she talks about, like, she knew about her health problems. And she knew how severe they were before anybody else did. And she's a journalist. And that is information that could have helped people a great deal because this is, this is a person who, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2008, I think was, uh, decided to continue on the um, Supreme court Mm -hmm. and, and we're all still paying the price for that. And it's just, it's just horrifying. And it's like, there, there is actually a little bit of kickback coming back towards Neil Totenberg, but not enough, you know, and and uh, I would argue that it's it's good that Chris Cuomo lost his job at CNN for, you know, helping his brother cover cover up massive crimes. But 
that's such a big story. It's sort of you lose sight of the fact that that it isn't just the crimes. That's the issue. The issue is a reporter colluding with a government official to hide important information from citizens. And what Ian Tolberg yeah. did is is as bad, even though RBG didn't commit any specific crime, you know. Yeah, I guess if I was going to be the defender, uh, I would be like, yeah, everyone knew that RBG's health problems were bad, you know, like. Yeah, but I mean, she she knew how, how much worse they were than, than the general public did. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. And, and I mean, earlier. When she was yeah. diagnosed with cancer, like the fact that it, there was anybody that wasn't saying step down is really wild. Yeah, yeah. And it's insane that she didn't. Um, and I, I, I still, I still don't get the contortions you have to perform to tell yourself that it's, it's wrong to criticize her for making that decision, which I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's literally, you know, the argument is that she was what holding out because she wanted a woman president to appoint her successor. Is that the, the story? Mm, that's, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And historically speaking, the likelihood of Obama to have been followed by another Democrat, let alone right. a woman, was statistically zero. Like yeah. the last the last two times a Democrat followed a Democrat in office, it was because the first one had been uh, assassinated or died. These people got high on their own supply. You know? <laughs> and, and, yeah. And it's just... Uh, uh, so what we're saying is, is George W. Bush ain't the only one. He's just one of the worst. Is all, I think. Yeah. Um. He still he still should be prosecuted for war crimes like that. For sure, not gone away. That should be a thing that should be happening. Yeah, but I would say at the end of all this, um, what does forget what we think? What does George W. think we're going to learn from taking his class? What is the lesson? What is the big summing up? Not everybody is going to be a, a a leader, but everybody can end up being a better person. Well, okay, yeah, uh, I I guess I'm a better person for having watched this. I mean, the I, fact that he's positioning himself as the example of a good person is that is kind of the implication, funny. isn't it? It's yeah. like you don't necessarily have to achieve what I've achieved, but you can still, like me, be a better person. Yeah, I can and teach you, can, you how to be a better and person. And I can, and I can teach you how to be a better person. Yeah. Uh, well, this would be I like if your one. AA sponsor wasn't like a practicing drug dealer. <laughs> Sorry, it's just not going to work. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a problem here. But I said, what's amazing about this whole thing? We come out the other end. It's like for me, it's it's it seems like so often the all all he comes back to with everything is that it's always just about appearance. You know, yeah. he never talks about actual leadership. He never talks about like getting into a situation, studying the problem, you know, working with others to come to solutions. Never talks about what to do when somebody else who's already a leader is, is challenging you, uh, how to work with somebody else who's like in that, in the same position you are, who's, you know, it's just, and, and also, what do you do? Is there, you know, I'm missing anything. I don't remember a single moment when he talks about what to do when you find out you were wrong about something, when one of your decisions was incorrect and seriously so. You know, there's just, they don't even give lip service to actually teaching you about leadership yeah, in this class. It's really wild how little, I mean, it was the same thing with the Hillary Clinton one. It, it yeah. ends and you're, you're just like, I watched someone talk for a while, but. Yeah. I don't know what else I saw. I mean, hers and 
tell me I'm wrong. Hers was about resilience, which I'm not sure is a thing anybody goes to school to study. You know, it's like <laughs> if you're taking a class on resilience, you should you take what you get. And of course, it's ridiculous. But like this guy's teaching leadership and he was theoretically a leader. He ought to have some tips. Yeah, I really don't want to do it because I bet it's boring. And I know it's three times as long as this, but like, you know, Bill Clinton does one on leadership too, I believe. And I, I wow. bet he offers you a few things that you could learn from. I bet he does. Yeah. I bet he yeah. actually does say stuff that's like, oh, okay, that's the thing. Yeah. That's probably useful. Oh, you probably have insight into this that I don't and are capable of sharing it with me. Even though, yeah. you know, you've done some terrible things too. We but, can't wait for him to cover the leadership part of, uh, sticking a cigar in an intern's vagina. <laughs> I wonder if he talks about that. I bet he does not. I really doubt it. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean explicitly. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know. After, after having watched this painting thing, you know, it's like, in my final chapter, I'd like to talk about how to diddle a lady with a cigar. I think there's a lot of technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not that sex positive. I'm sorry. Uh, I think some kink shaming is okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know. Well, let's be honest. Anybody have any? Did you guys learn anything, Kate? Kate, you're a study buddy here. You're. Um... I I mean I would say I'm just really like my main takeaway from this is I'm very struck by how far off your perception can be of yourself and who you are and if like you know just like the way that you your your own moral and intellectual assessment of like who you are and what your impact is i mean he bush is obviously so far off right but mm -hmm. i'm to, now i have this like paranoia of like well i think i'm a good person and i think i'm right and, <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I'm like, well, I am, you know, but like, <laughs> but it's just seeing that it's possible to be this delusional because. But I'd argue that's be, the difference is, yeah. is that you have doubts. I mean, I, I, I have always said there's literally only one difference between, um, you know, John, John Lennon and, say, uh, uh, Millie Vanilli. And, and that is uh, John Lennon probably wasn't positive. He was brilliant. Yeah. You know, and. Um, uh, yeah, the fact that you have doubts. I mean, it's interesting because my, my immediate response when you start talking was to like, oh, no, he doesn't believe him. He's, he knows he's lying. But it's like, no, you're, you're right. Because as much as he does know he's lying about some of this stuff, it is so clear that he has absorbed the perception of himself that he's presenting as the real thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really get the vibe that he knows that he's lying a lot of the right. time, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I, there's no way to know, you know? If you wanted to be right. inside that guy's heart, you would have to be our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one else is in there, but I don't know. Good point. Yeah. I don't think you should be allowed to do these without saying who the PR writer was. Yeah. I mean, this is so clearly written by a PR sort of inside the machine kind of person to redo images like. It's, yeah. It's David from. David from. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I, I don't want to knock masterclass. They do they do have good classes, and you can understand why from their point of view. This might be they might perceive this as a a good way to lure people in. You know, almost a lost yeah. leader because who really is going to take it? But it's it's a big it's a big get. It is a big get. George W. Yeah. Bush is a bigger get than anybody we've ever had on any of our podcasts, Dave. Yeah. No offense. Wow. Wow. <laughs> He's never going to be our study buddy. 
and we'd accept them. We would take them on. I would do a, I would do five podcasts, five episode with, podcasts. With George? George yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. you would have a good time with him. That's what's so <laughs> infuriating. Is he seems fun, you know? Yeah, I bet there'd be a moment there where you say the wrong thing and his screen goes black, and five minutes later there's a knock on your door, and and that's it. I mean, look, I met Newt Gingrich once when I was in college, and it was like probably it was like 2004 or something. So you know, he the 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 most horrible things that he did were in recent memory, but. I was, he to me, like, if you watch him on the screen, he's one of the most unappealing, odious. Yeah, it looks like a toad. Physically unattractive, like, personally repellent kind of people. And when I met this guy in person, it was like, this dude has, like, a level of charisma I've never seen. Like, he was so compelling. And I feel like with someone like George W. Bush, like, however charismatic he seems to us, He's probably like 10,000 times more charismatic in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something you can be taught in a master class, sadly. No. no. But uh, uh, anything, any any last words there, David? No, it's just all disappointing. And they're going to keep making these. And he's going to die. And everyone will say how great he was. Like yeah. his dad. His dad was an absolute monster. But when he died, everyone's like, well, he was pretty good. I mean, he did. It's like, you know, he's a monster. He was a monster, like CIA head over saw Operation Condor. Like, I mean, just war crimes up the wazoo, like a terrible, Iran Contra, like a terrible human being. An example of everything that's wrong with uh, politics and the office and. And it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that because maintaining that understanding of people uh i would think keeps you a little more on the defense uh when the new one comes along because if we just whitewash every awful person who comes through the door uh, we're not learning anything you know and look it's possible it is possible when somebody like this dies when george bush senior dies to go hey look um uh you know i don't i don't I don't cheer when anybody dies. I think it's terrible. I feel for the man's family and um, they're all in pain and that's a sad thing and we can all relate to that. But I'm glad he's fucking dead and he's going to burn in hell forever and that's about the only good thing I can take out of this. Yeah. yeah. Or something. I mean, it's just, I'm so disgusting. It's like, uh, but yeah, stuff like this just helps helps with that mentality that, that these are all just, um, they're just members of the, uh, you know, the other the other high school football team that, you know, from the other school that you don't go to and, now that he's now that he's off the field, we should all just celebrate his accomplishments. It ain't healthy. No. Um, to both. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kate, thank you so much for coming on this, this journey so with us. This our was very flagship. Fun. I'm, it was great talking with you guys and learning a lot about George <laughs> W. Bush. <laughs> yeah. Stuff I don't remember, but yeah, and what leadership. a horrible guy. Yeah, and, and leadership. leadership. And leadership. Yeah. Right. Now Thanks. you know how to be a leader. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like the CEO, the girl boss CEO of something in a few months, and you guys yeah. are going to be like, we've created a fucking monster. Oh my god, you be the girl boss CEO of comedy. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, Dave, how about you? You feeling good about this? You uh, looking forward to doing more of these? Um. We're not just going to do master classes. We have all kinds of things lined up for this you. Might folks, be our so. last, this might be our last one. Our last what? 
That was it. We're done. Our last masterclass? And no, just the podcast. <laughs> Our last podcast ever? Yeah. Okay. You gotta shut down the dollop too. I mean, no, that's fine. I mean, we don't <laughs> end with we don't end with war criminals painting on the dollop. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you all for joining us on this. Um we're gonna take a little break, uh, and then we're gonna be back in a couple of weeks with um another one in spite of what dave says uh and this one this one will be even more inspirational and more educational we absolutely promise oh. you want to go out on that you want to go out on that? Oh. <laughs> oh. sounds about right You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the We want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, AKA research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as diesel boots.